we've already talked about some of these things, but I titled it, What Do You Have in the House? It's from 2 Kings chapter 4. It's nothing earth-shattering and profound, but I think it is something that it's a, it illustrates what is found all throughout the Bible as far as, far as our personal Christianity, where the rubber meets the road, as it were. People are always concerned in the back of their mind about how God takes care of people, what's going to happen to me, about the providence of God, how God works, why doesn't God do this and why doesn't God do that, and how these things happen. I think it can be problematic when you're young and you don't know what life's going to do. I'm trying to show you something here that that will help in a strange way. And, And when you're older and you wonder how things are going to be, this might help. Let's go back to a time of despair almost in the history of Israel back in the book of 2 Kings. And uh, this is after the death of of Elijah. He passes the mantle almost literally to Elisha, a younger man, a younger prophet. They were completely different kinds of people. Elijah was a very fiery, emotional, extroverted kind of guy, the kind that you would expect to be a prophet. He became known as, you know, kind of the leader of all the prophets down through Israel's history. Elijah, he became a symbol of the Messiah that was coming. Elijah's coming, they would say, because of his great power as a prophet. Elisha was a completely different kind of fellow. He, he was a, protege, a, ment- a mentee, if you can use that word, of, of Elijah, but he was a mild man, a quiet man. And the things that he did were uh, on the reserve side, nothing flamboyant particularly. But Elisha was a whole different character to himself, yet still a prophet of God. Now, let's just read this. We, we can't dig into all the background of it, but let's read this story in 2 Kings chapter 4, if you're not familiar with it. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. Now look, in Israel there were different gods being worshipped. They should have been worshipping only one god, but they weren't. They were worshipping false gods. That's what happened. Eli- Elijah, you know, called down fire on the, pro- on the altar and slew the prophets of Baal. So, but there were prophets of Jehovah. That's even what he said. You know, Elijah said, well, I'm the only one left. Well, he wasn't. And here's evidence of that after he's gone. Here are the wives of the sons of the prophets. These are prophets of Jehovah that lived throughout the land of Israel. They had been silenced. They had been pushed aside. Here's a case where even their widows were starving. They died and no one was even taking care of the wives of these prophets and she said to Elisha she found Elisha and she said your servant my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord or feared Jehovah and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves this is not according to the law if it's presented the way I think it is here but that's what was going to happen and so Elisha said what shall I do for you tell me what do you have in the house? There's a title of our sermon. Isn't that brilliant? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. We're going to come back to this. God can only work with what you've got. Jesus says to him of the half that shall be given. He works with what you've got. What do you have in the house? And so here's what Elisha said. Go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. 
And when you have come, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour it into those, all those vessels and set aside the full ones. And so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. She sent these boys out and they said, Mama needs whatever you got, any kind of jars, pots, whatever you've got. I need them. And so her neighbors began to give her stuff. And the sons kept bringing them in the house. And she poured the oil. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full, she said to her sons, bring me another vessel. And they said to her, there is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. And then she told, she came and told the man of God. And he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. So she ended up with far more than she needed to pay the debt. And the oil just kept pouring. She just kept pouring oil out of this one, one pitcher. And as more she poured and filled up one vessel, she looked and there's more oil in there. And she kept pouring and she filled. And, and it was still there when she filled up all the vessels. And he said, take this oil, it's valuable, go sell it. Now you can live on this. Now this story has always impressed me. It may not mean much to you. It's just one of those little sayings in the Bible, little stories that stick in my mind. The stories impress me in this way that the miracles of God sometimes, or the, even the way God helps people, are not uh, call down fire from heaven. This is not like calling down fire from heaven for everybody to see, is it? This is something done. He even says, go in and shut the door. Nobody saw this. This was something for this woman that God was willing to bless her with as the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. So I mentioned these points before in another lesson you can look up, but I don't want to spend too much time on them. I want to make a, I want to make a comparison with something else in the Bible. But the way to increase what we have is to use what we have, whatever it may be that you have. The oil was multiplied in the pouring. It wasn't multiplied by sitting in the jar, in the pot, you see. And, and that's why Jesus says, for I say to you that everyone will be, that to, that to everyone who has, it will be given from him who, him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So there's, we've talked about that passage on several occasions. It seems unfair. Jesus says, if you have, more will be given to you. If you do not have, it'll be taken away. Now, I've always used that as an illustration of why people ought to be reading their, reading their Bible and studying their Bible to find out how to be a better Christian, how to help those around them, how to gain wisdom, how to be close to God. Because the more that you have, the more God can give you. And so we find that people who come and join other Christians in, in worship and activities and doing things like even though we did yesterday and things like that, I find that those are the people that grow and have more. And the ones that I beg and try to get to join and send invitations and do this and that and the other, and they do not come, they always lack. And sometimes, even what they have is taken away because they never, they never increase. That's the way God is. He works with what you have and He works with what you use. He can give you all kinds of gifts, but if you don't use those gifts to do His will, they will not do you, they, he cannot bless you in that. So the oil was increased in this. Jesus says in, uh, through Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 
I say whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Of course, you say, well, that's easy for a preacher to preach because he wants you to put more in the plate. Amen. That's exactly right. But that's not the point of me reading that. I hope all of you get rich. You know I've said that many times. I hope all of you are bountifully blessed, but I also hope that you are serving God with that blessing and not holding it to yourself. Because of this, the more that you share what you have and 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 so uh, so bountifully, the more that you'll have. You sow sparingly, you won't have much. So let each one, as he purposes his heart, give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we can read a bunch of other passages, even 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, where he says that he supplies seed to the sower. When he sees somebody, when God sees someone who has seed, a blessing from him, whether it's money or teaching or wisdom or whatever it is, and this person sows that seed and gives it to other people, he gives more seed to them. It says he supplies seed to the sower. To those who hold back and hold everything for themselves and don't sow any seed, whether it's money or wisdom or knowledge, whatever it may be, goodness, God doesn't give any more. Anymore. They've got their seed. As long as they hold on to it, that's what they'll have. They won't have any more. Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to actually do that, to give, to give, sow the seed? See, that's the question before us. And, and uh, but this, this passage also teaches us that we're, we're blessed by God according to our own effort or obedience. Oh, I know we can't talk about obedience or effort. Yes, we can, because the Bible is very clear about this. This, Elisha probably could have asked God for a miracle just to snap his fingers and there'd be a pile of money on the table. Uh, God just doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. That I know of. He told, asked this woman, what do you have in your house? Which implies a lot of effort to get where she was. And then he took what she had and said, now you must do something. You must go to your neighbor's and you must gather every kind of pot and vessel you possibly can and bring them back here. Then we'll talk, as it were. And so she did that. Well, she sent her sons. That's what mothers always do. Boys, that's what my mother did. Boys, go cut the grass. Uh, anyway, anyway, she sent her sons, and they did this. I don't even know if she's physically able to do any of the other things. And so she sent them to do it because she obeyed the prophet. The prophet spoke and she listened and she did something for God's blessing. So we can hinder our blessings by a lack of faith. We can just simply hinder our blessings. I'll give you a controversial example of this. You won't like it, but it's okay. Psalm 127 says, children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his great reward. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. Our generation simply does not believe that. Christian, non-Christian simply does not believe that children are a blessing from the Lord and the man who has his quiver full is blessed. We do not believe it. Okay, God can't bless us. We've limited the way we can be blessed. And those same people, oftentimes, not all of them, will grow old and alone, need care, won't have it. They'll die lonely. Die alone many times because they simply didn't believe what God said. 
Now, there are others, obviously, who are in this condition for no fault of their own or anything like that. But there's too many today to ignore the fact that this is simply, for sake of ecology or selfishness, a way of life. Now, I could probably bring up ten other things, but I thought I'd throw something out that you didn't like. I just thought this. I had to get that in this morning. You know, i got to do something that you hear that you don't like. But that's where we are. That's where lots of people, and I as a preacher see these people. It's, it's, it's sorrowful because they have no one to bless them. They're dependent upon a stranger. A guy like me that they family will call that they don't know, they depend upon a complete and total stranger. Now, somehow, late in life to bring comfort to them. I'm a poor comforter in that, in that regard. But God, we've hindered God from blessing us. And then, maybe most importantly, we're blessed according to our blessing of others. What this story strikes me, the part of the story that strikes me is that fact. There are people, and you know them, you may be one, who simply hate their neighbors. They're that old man who opens the door and shakes his fist and yells at the kid to get off the lawn, you know, get off his grass. They are terror to the whole neighborhood because they don't want anybody around them. They yell at everybody about everything. Anybody's grass gets a half inch too high, they call the cops, you know, or can sit out on the street a few minutes, they're out there calling the cops, HOA or whatever. They're these neighbors. They're everywhere in South Florida. You're smiling, Jason. Am I wrong? He gets called to these scenes, fist fights probably. But they're everywhere. How would this... And then we don't make any effort to, to, to know people of any kind, of any, not just that he'll live next door, but uh, other people. We go through stores and checkouts. We go through our life. We meet receptionists. We meet all these people. And we never make any attempt to even personally make contact with them and say, how are you? And try to do, and try to make something nice, uh, nice talk. We, we don't even make this effort. And now, if this woman had been that kind of, this picture, this, had she been that kind of an old woman, what, how would this have worked out? She said, well, what, wait, Elijah, can, can we do something else? You mean I gotta go get stuff from my neighbors? Have you got some other way you can bless me? Well, he didn't. But she wasn't that kind of woman. She gladly sent forth her son to the neighbors and all the people around her. And they gladly gave this woman whatever they could find to put stuff in. I'm sure they gave her all those Cool Whip dishes and everything they could find that they had stored around. All the Chinese takeout stuff. They, they gave her all that stuff. How much you want? And they loaded it up in Publix bags, Walmart bags, and sent it all with those boys right back to her house. And she was loaded up. So much so that she had way more than she needed to take care of her sons and pay her debt, but she can live on this. In applying the rest of your life, you can live on this. Money you got. That tells me about the generosity of the neighbors. But I think more importantly, it tells me about this woman, what kind of person she had been. Not, not just the kind of woman she was, but it tells me about how she had lived for years before this time when she came into need. Now, that's the point I want to make with you. In the future, you very well may come into need, emotional, physical, financial need. And when you do, where are these neighbors going to be? Do you have any? Have you done anything that called people to your bedside? Have you lived that way? Have you been to their bedside for them, you see? And that's what had to have taken place 
pack in the past. And here's the troubling part about that. At that moment when she needed this and when Elisha said do this, there was no way to go back and fix all that. It was already done. It was set in stone. It was history. There's no way to repair that. You can't start then to being nice to your neighbors. Won't work. Oh, you might, you know, plead with them and they'll give you a little bit of something. I guess the opposite parable of this or the statement of this is the one about heaping coals of fire on someone's head. You know, he says when someone does wicked to you, you, you instead of turning evil for evil, you heap coals of fire on their head. Probably the meaning of that statement is this, that everybody had to keep a fire going all the time uh, and because they, they needed it to cook and to stay warm and other things. So they kept a fire going. And during the night, they would heap these coals before they went to bed alive. And and her, here's a person whose fire goes out. they got little children. It's cold. They know they aren't even going to be able to cook any food in the morning. And so they go knock on their neighbor's door. And they've, they've been very mean to this neighbor. They've been just disgusting to this neighbor. He doesn't like them. But they don't have anybody else to turn. And so, middle of the night, the man comes and knocks on the neighbor's door. He peeks it up. He doesn't like getting up in the first place. Then he cracks the door, and he sees who it is. And it's like, what do you want? After all the stuff that's gone on, what do you want? Well, my children are cold. I need some fire. Okay, I'll help you. Just hang on a second here. And he's got his fire bucket on his head. He's got his fire bucket to put the coals in. And so he goes in. He's got a choice now. He opens up his fire pit, and he can go in there. And he can get a bunch of hot coals and put them in the bucket, take it home, warm your children, be you know, be happy about. It. Or he can go in there with his tongs and pick, sort through and pick the ember that's about to die, and give him one dying ember, and clink it into the bucket. That's his choices. Which do you do? Well, some of that has to do with how you treated each other before this time. Jesus says. In your case, heap coals of fire on his head, even if he's been wicked to you. Be generous. But not everybody's like that. In this case, we have to we have to think about how we're living right now, today. That's what makes a difference. Now, in the financial world, it's made to be a poor parable, but maybe you'll get, get what I'm saying this way. I'll give you an illustration. Back uh, year, years and years ago, I was in my probably 30s, became friends with a financial guy in the church up in Illinois. And he used to ask me about my retirement and all that stuff. I'm like, are you kidding? I got five children, no money. He said, well, you should do something. You should put a little money aside in an IRA or something. I'll set one up for you. And it took, I said, how much? $250. I went, are you kidding? That's like $10,000 to me then. Somehow we got to 250 together. He started the IRA, put that in there. And for a few months, maybe a year, I put a little bit in every every month, and so it came up to be over $1,000 eventually in there. And then one disaster after another struck with the children and other things, and I never put any more money in it. Today, it's worth $35,000. I haven't done anything to it. It's my burial fund. It's what's going to pay for me and Judy's funeral. Um, She's only going to use about 10 grand, I figure. But it's going to take about 25 grand to get anybody to come to mind. So it's going to cost more. She's got to pay people to come. But in any event, um, that's, I, I even look at it for years because I wouldn't put any money in it. 
Now, now here's my point about that. Had I put in, like he said, 50 or 100 bucks a month from the time I was 35 years old, I could be a millionaire today. That interest would have compounded over and over again had I just done that simple thing. I didn't. And you all look at me like, boy, you're stupid. Well, I can tell you what, I bet most of you are stupid too. Because you haven't done that, especially you young people. I told every one of my children about this. Did they do it? I doubt it. Because we all live for today. And so the point I'm making to you is, this: if this woman had only lived for the day and only done what she wanted to do with all of her time and resources and kindness, when this moment came that she was truly in need, she wouldn't have had anything. But God was able to bless her. So he can, and he can only bless us according to this. And so he only blesses us then in the end according to our capacity to receive the blessings. So when the, but when the, when the vessels were full, the blessing stopped. And if we haven't been able to collect good, create goodness in our life, if we haven't been able to create generosity and love in our life and kindness in our life by how we live, then the blessing stops. That's the way it is. I told somebody yesterday, You've been to funerals, many, many, approached many, many, many funerals before. Dozens. In fact, in my coat pocket yesterday, I reached in my coat pocket. That's my funeral suit, Carla. That's my black suit. So I got to wear a black suit to a funeral. You know, like I'm old school. I reached there to get something, and then there were two other funeral announcements. Been in there. I guess the dry cleaner took them out and put them back in. I don't know. Two or three. Maybe there was three in there. Picked lots of funerals. And I've been to one, more than one, but this is one stands out. Fella, I probably told this in Hollywood years ago. Nice fella. He was a pilot. He used to come quite a bit. He, I didn't know him well. It was very secretive, but he, he, nice fella. He says, I, my, by the way, he says, Mike, he says, don't come over to the house. He said, my wife hates God. She really hates preachers. So don't come to the house. I said, okay, I won't do that. I don't want to upset her. Okay. And I didn't. Well, I wasn't a couple years later. He comes to me. One Sunday morning, he says, Mike, he said, I, I'd like to know if you would preach my wife's funeral. She died suddenly. <coughs> okay, when is it? He told me. I said, I felt sorry. I said, oh, sorry, Eli. He said, well, you know, it's what it is. And, and so we get to the, I get to the funeral home. Never met this woman at all. Never seen her. Didn't know what she looked like. And I walk in there, and we go up, I go up to the casket, and he's standing there by the casket by his wife. And I greeted him and stuff. And it's time to start. And and uh, me and him were the only ones there. He was the only one who actually came to his funeral that knew his wife. And, and when the when the funeral director saw this, the funeral director kind of came up and stood by us, so there'd be at least three of us by the casket. And I gave a little talk, and he said to me, "She was not a very nice person. She hated everybody." And it, you know, I felt sorry for him as much as I did for her. This is the opposite kind of person of this woman here in Second Kings. I've been another funeral, young man who was involved in drugs and had a lot of, had friends. He thought he had a lot of friends, but he died suddenly. I think most of his friends were in jail for drugs. I knew his grandmother very well, sweet woman, knew his mother. Close friends of the, and when you do the funeral, yeah, I do the funeral. So we, it's a graveside. So I go to the graveside, and <clears throat> the casket's here. The, the 
Hearst is by the road. I can see up, up a little hill there on the top. I can see uh, Pearl and, you know, the daughter and a sister sitting up there where, the gra- the, where they're going to bury him and all that. And I'm standing here by the, by the hearse and the f- fellow from the funeral finally says, we don't have enough people to carry him up there. We don't have any way to get him up there. And so I said, well, I can help. And I didn't have crutches then. And, and, and they went and called the guy. There's two guys over there by the tractor where they're going to fill in the grave in half an hour. You're going to fill in the grave. They called those guys over from off the tractor and another guy cutting grass. They called him over and they carried this young man, 20 some years old, up to his resting place. And I know that that broke this poor old woman's heart. And so my lesson from that was live the kind of life that they can at least find six people that will carry you to your grave. Can you at least live the kind of life that they can? He had lots of friends, but let me tell you, friends in the drug world are not actually friends. You think they're your friends, but they're not your friends. They only love one thing and it's not you. Find, live a life that they can find six people to carry you to the grave. And it's around us. It's there. I run into it myself. And what am I? Not, nothing. I run into it myself. So it's obviously there. So God blesses us so we can do our duty. And we, not, to, not so we can live in affluence, not so we can be rich. He blesses us so we can do our duty to other people. Now I want to jump, I want to connect this up real quick with something completely seemingly unrelated. Washing the saints' feet. You know, uh, <clears throat> people ask about these different Bible customs because washing feet, Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the Passover, at the last Passover. He, he took a bowl, and instead of washing his own hands and becoming the leader of the ceremony, he, he took the bowl and began to wash the disciples' feet. Remember, he had a confrontation with Peter there about this. Peter wouldn't let him wash his feet, and then he finally talked him into it. And he said, as I've done this, because washing feet was a menial task left to servants or those subordinate, the important people of a house, even the head mother of the house, would not be washing someone's feet. But they washed feet back then because they walked on dusty roads with sandals and it was dusty and it was a custom. So when someone came to your house, you, you set them down, you took off their shoes for them, washed their feet, dried them off and put and cleaned them off, and then they go sit in your house and eat and whatever. And it was a custom. And we see this several times in the New Testament, but what it is in reality is a menial task, something very unpleasant and very menial that only the least important people in the house would do. Jesus tells us to wash the saints' feet. Now I want to skip over to another widow, though. In the book of First Timothy chapter 5, there are a bunch of widows. There are several widows mentioned, different kinds of widows. Don't have time to devote a whole sermon to all the different kinds of widows in First Timothy 5. But one of the kinds of widows... There are widows who didn't have much money or resources back then, and they ha- they were the ones that they had to be taken care of. But he says, as far as the church is concerned, now he's speaking here about the church taking money from their treasury to support these widows, especially to put them on a roll and permanently enroll them in, and help them for the rest of their life. He says, honor widows who are really widows, or the King James says widows indeed. Honor there means financially take care of. That's what it means in the Bible a lot of times. 
If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So if a widow has children or grandchildren, they're to take care of the widow. That's why I felt obligated to take care of my mother and father and my grandparents, if necessary, and my aunt as a widow. It was my responsibility, my brother's responsibility, because of this verse. Not because we're good, but because of this verse. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone, the King James says desolate. Now then, there's those kind of widows that have family. Then there's the kind of widows that have nobody. You got those widows today. They have nobody. But she's the kind of woman who trusts in God. She continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command... And so for the, even that's when the, that's where the verse is, if one doesn't provide for his own, he's denied the faith. Now listen to what this says. We ain't got time to talk about that. Verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. That's the enrollment. So we may have a widow who is 55. She can't be permanently enrolled. She can be taken care of and helped by the church, but she can't be permanently enrolled at that age, not until she's 60. She has to have been the wife of one man. She's not a, not a, a polygamist or... So forth, a woman who runs around, a husband of one wife. This is parallel to the husband of one wife as an elder. She's well reported up for good works. She's brought up children. She has lodged strangers. She has washed the saints' feet. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now then, that woman you can support. Okay, so how does this work? You mean this is tell me that the people that they, well, how, how does that apply today? This is one of those Bible customs that doesn't apply today. Every word of the Bible applies today. The question is, how does it apply? Not whether it applies. Every word of the New Testament, everything there applies. But the question is how. So how does washing the saints' feet apply today? Well, it applies kind of like, in a way, I'm going to apply it a little bit like this widow with the oil back there. It's talking in our day, and we don't have a custom of washing feet. It would be uh, foolish. Here's a woman who's met all these other qualifications and, and so forth and said, well, she hasn't washed anybody's feet, so let me get a bowl of water. You wash a couple feet and we'll be happy. Is that really what God's saying to do? Just make her wash a couple feet so she'll be happy? No. He's talking about a kind of person, how she's lived. He's talking about her lifestyle, her character. She's the kind of woman who isn't too fancy, dripping with diamonds and pearls, that she can't do menial tasks for people around her, in her family and outside of her family. She's known for good work. She's known for doing the simplest things, the unpleasant things. Not only has she changed other people, her children's diapers, she's changed other people's children's diapers, and, she, and she's cleaned up a few people that are old who have soiled themselves. She's taken care of the unpleasant things of life. She's not afraid to do this for other people. Not only is she not afraid of it, she's done these things. She's washed the saints' feet. So here's a woman who turns 60. She's lived pretty much a life of luxury as a, what do they call them today? A, uh, can't think of the word. I'll start to say a grade A woman. There's another word for it in dating that they say today. These uh, men, what's the word I'm thinking of, Judy? You don't know. <laughs> uh, it's it's something. It basically the the high class number t- the 
the tens, you know, and I'm one of these high va- high value women. She's a high value woman. She knows what styles to wear. She's had the proper surgeries to make sure everything's lifted and tucked and all the other stuff. She's got her jewels. She's got her clothes, the right kind of clothes. Know which hairstyle is in style this year. She's done all this. Her house is perfectly in order. You even go there. You, you find more pillows on her beds and couches than any other house in the neighborhood. She's got more little pillows. She's got more of the soaps in the bathroom that you can't use. That's how you judge the vet. That's not how you judge if I have a woman today, Christian woman. She has different kind, and they're the right kind of soaps. You know, stuff, man. She got, you look in the shower, you'd see tons of uh, more hair, hair oil than Cleopatra had. She's that kind of high value woman. And she's got no children. She needs help all of a sudden. And so we look at her and we ask, has she washed the saint's feet? Has she? The answer is for most American women, no. And I can apply this to men too. There are, this is the same thing applies for men since in, in this lesson it does, this verse about women. But I'm just going to apply this to men that if, if we're not living a life ahead of time, this is not something that's going to happen in the future. He's not saying she should start washing the saints' feet. Is he saying that? We should go make sure she starts washing the saints' feet when she's 60 so she can get the money. No. This is something that she can't control. She should have already been doing this. Now, this is unpleasant. I can see you by your reactions. This You find this unfair and unpleasant that God would require this. But God's blessing to this widow indeed depends upon menial things she did years before. You cannot wait until you need it to seek God's blessing in many cases. God will save those who come at the 11th hour. He demands that we, that we help those in need, whether they live right or not sometimes. I understand that. But if you want to receive God's blessing in the future, it depends sometimes on what you're doing now. So start taking advantage of these things today that you can live so that there's a lifetime of memory. And you can, when you go knock on your neighbor's door and you need something, they gladly give you what you need. That's the life of a Christian. Now, it's a strange little lesson. I understand that. But I'm asking you to look into the future and understand something. There's a time coming. I don't care if you're strong and healthy. All, all the things you can do now with your body. and your, uh, I don't care. There's a time coming when you're going to be in need. And who's going to help you? Well, your neighbors are going to help you. But will they help you? Well, God's going to help you. How, how does So God will help me then. Well, how does God help you? God helps you based on how you've lived for a at least there's some element of that. So yes, ladies, start washing the saints' feet. Men, you start doing those small things. If you're found faithful in little, God knows you'll be faithful in much. Start doing those things. Don't be too good for that. None of us should be too good for any of these things. And be aware of those Christians who are too good for those things who want to lead the church. So you can't wait. All right, our time is gone today, and so is the lesson. I appreciate your thinking about these things. Uh, perhaps we can gain some lesson from long ago. And the good thing I will tell you is we have women in this church and men who have washed the saints' feet, and I'm very thankful for them. We're going to sing now.
this song, number 587, as we close, to encourage you, if you've never obeyed the gospel, to become a Christian today. If I call you to the, if I call you in this hour to a life in Christ to become a Christian, I hope you get the impression, rightfully, that being a Christian is not a prestige. It is a life of service. It's a life of not being in charge, of not being on top, not being the, the one that everybody's pampering. It's that life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the, that's the life that I'm calling you to. But you can be that. You can wash and be buried in baptism and be clean. Start that life of service to Christ today. We'll call, we're going to sing this song. If, you can, if you're ready, you can come and do that today. We'll baptize you into Christ. Or perhaps you, you realize I need to make a better start and do a better job of this commitment I made to Christ. We'll pray with you this morning. God can forgive and heal and point the right way to you. Come right to the front for this morning as we stand and sing.